Hey everyone, welcome to the Psych Sideshow Podcast. We made this podcast to develop our curiosity and yours. And we imagine ourselves as keen experimentalists when researching and implementing protocols. And hope you can imagine yourself as that as well. Our thoughts and views are aligned with the knowledge of an undergraduate student and it's not meant to be taken as professional advice in any sense. But join us chaotic beings in this journey of self-discovery as long as it is in a safe and informed manner. We, we hope, hope you enjoy, enjoy this episode. episode. Hello everyone and welcome to the Psych Sideshow. I apologize for the late upload. Um, I just started researching about today's episode and I just felt like I kept finding more and more and I just could not stop myself from learning more and feeling ready to actually start talking about this. So I actually decided that I may make a part two for this episode. But anyway, uh, thank you for listening. Uh, And today we'll be talking about a huge influential figure in psychology, Carl Jung. Now, Carl Jung, in his early life, uh, he was born in 1875 in Keswil, Switzerland. Uh, his parents were, uh, well, his father was an impoverished pastor called Paul Jung, and his mother was apparently depressed and eccentric, who was named Emily Jung. His mother's father was a theologist and had apparently had conversations with the dead and... His father's father was a respected physician, kind of showing how um, later in his life, how religion and science kind of came together in a lot of his theories, which is kind of why I find him quite interesting and engaging. Uh, But apparently he was described as introverted, isolated. He even said that he could talk to ghosts when he was younger. Uh, he underperformed in school. Apparently, he like did a lot of fainting uh, just to get out of school so he wouldn't have to do it. But then, apparently, his father once uh, had a conversation with him about his concerns, about his grades and everything. And he started becoming a lot more interested academically. Uh, and he had a strong interest in philosophy and religious texts. Uh one thing about this episode that I thought would be really fun is I would do a lot of quotes from Carl Jung himself, and this is him about a dream he had when he was younger. Uh, about this time, I had a dream which both frightened and encouraged me. It was night in some unknown place, and I was making slow and painful headway against a mighty wind. Dense fog was flying along everywhere. I had my hands cupped around a tiny light, which threatened to go out at any moment. Everything dependent on me keeping this little light alive. Suddenly, I had a feeling that something was coming behind me. I looked back and saw a gigantic black figure following me. But at the same moment, I was conscious, in spite of my terror, that I had to keep my little light going through the night and the wind, regardless of all dangers. When I awoke, I realised at once that the figure was a spectre of the Brocken, my own shadow on the swirling mists, brought into being by the little light I was carrying. I knew too that this little light was my consciousness, the only light I have. My own understanding is the sole treasure I possess, 
and the greatest. Though infinitely small and fragile in comparison with the powers of darkness, it is still a light, my own light. So basically, this is describing one of the first um, encounters of his own shadow, which is something we'll describe a lot more later on. But uh, anyway, we'll continue on a little bit with his background. Uh, His education, he studied medicine at the University of Basel, completed uh, completed his degree at the University of Zurich in 1902. He worked uh, at the mental hospital under Eugene Bluya, who actually coined the term schizophrenia. So he was quite an influential figure in psychology as well. Uh, and then after several years at working at the mental hospital, he decided to start his own private practice. Uh, he married Emma Young. And this is a story in itself, which is I really wanted to go into, but I thought I might spend too much time in it. He, he married Emma Young, but then he actually had an affair with one of his patients called Tony Wolf, and apparently it was quite well known even to Emma Young and a lot of people in his village that he was having this affair. And at a point, uh, Emma Young, the his current wife, actually told him to uh, bring her so they can have a conversation with them all at the same time. And they actually came to the conclusion that uh, they were both going to marry Carl Young and they would actually work together because they were all um, physicians uh, and uh, psychiatrists trying to develop these theories actually together. So it actually turned into this polygamy relationship between Carl Young, Emma Young, and Tony Wolfe. And together, they actually, uh, for 40 years, are working together on his theories, which I think is incredibly interesting and not really people... Not, not many people talk about this, but um, another connection he has, uh, this is much more well-known, uh, he had a connection with Sigmund Freud. He met Freud in 1907, and their intense friendship lasted until 1913. And apparently, I think it was the first time they met, it was said that they had like a 13-hour discussion straight about the unconscious mind, the psyche, and what makes the mind special and different for every person. Uh, They travelled together, lectured together, analysed dreams, discussed psychological studies, but uh, unfortunately, or maybe not unfortunately, but they had fundamental disagreements that led to the end of their friendship which again was in 1913. As Freud thought the unconscious was motivated primarily by sex and is unique to each individual, while Jung, he thought that the unconscious was motivated by many things and added the idea that there's actually a collective unconscious, which again, we'll talk about a little bit later, his theories in more detail. But after his uh, relationship with Sigmund Freud, he actually had a psychological breakdown Uh, That lasted for five years, between 1913 and 1918. But instead of seeking help for his psychological breakdown, he actually conducted psychological experiments on himself, delving into his unconscious, and explored the nature of the psyche to achieve individuation. Uh, He said he could hear voices in his head, and he was visited by the spirits of the dead. So he was going through something 
crazy. And he actually wrote, I think it was two books. Uh, he wrote one book, which is the more famous one, I think, called The Red Book. And it didn't come out until 2013 because of its controversy. And basically, it was Carl Jung in this period of his psychological breakdown writing about his personal journey into the unconscious, where he explored his dreams, his fantasies, and his dialogues of the unconscious. And an interesting thing uh, they said they found was that these, uh, this, a lot of the stories and the symbols that they found in the Red Book was actually quite similar to many other like artists that had similar psychological breakdowns and their paintings and symbols and writings and talking about which is actually interesting because it's quite uh, like aligned with his theory altogether, which we'll get to now. So his theory, which is, I think, incredibly interesting. Uh, basically, he, de- he was determined to find out the structure of the psyche. Now, first questions first. What, what is the psyche? The psyche is the complete, indiv- uh, the complete personality of the individual. So this comp- uh, comprises of the conscious, the personal unconscious, and the collective unconscious. Now, the unconscious, I mean, the conscious we'll start with. What is the conscious? The conscious is the first level. And basically, this is the realm of personal awareness. Uh, this is where the ego lies. This is similar to Freud. Um, and basically, this ego maintains the identity by telling This ego is basically our identity that we tell ourselves. And the way we tell ourselves what our identity is, is usually how we say we are different from other people. And this ego is actually created when we're younger. And it is, I guess, uh, fostered into the center of consciousness. And basically... um, What we do with this ego is... uh, Well, actually, no. Basically, what this ego is, is managing what we think about ourselves and kind of managing our behaviors that is like socially like acceptable. And the way we present our ego is through our persona. So our persona is basically uh, a mask that we have, or not a mask, but it's described as a mask. Basically, how we present ourselves to the world in a socially acceptable way and or, or, and also how... We see ourselves as our identity. Um, and basically, uh, this shows who we want to be. and But this doesn't necessarily mean that it's actually a part of our true identity. And in fact, uh, Carl um, said that this persona was often disconnected from one's true self and was rather shaped by societal expectations. Now, the second level. The personal unconscious. This is where um, things are pushed, basically things are pushed into the personal unconscious, but still interacts with the conscious. So this could be something like, oh, uh, unwanted behavior that you do, or unwanted feelings, or parts of the identity that you don't want to think is a part of you. So say an example that he used was, say if you're a jealous person, you don't want to. You don't want to agree that you're a jealous person, so you push that into the unconscious. You're like, no, no, I'm not a jealous person. I'm. I'm. I, that's not me. But this, even if it is pushed into the unconscious and you don't think about it anymore, it can still interact with your conscious life. 
basically through your behavior, your mood, and uh, we'll talk about how you can actually help yourself by acknowledging that this is a part of you. But we'll go more in detail about that later. Now the third level, which I think is especially interesting, it is the collective unconscious. And this is where we start getting into a lot of his, like, this is the part of his theory that separates him really from other people. Because as well as his study in psychology, he also studied mythology, history, and saw a lot of symbols similar to... um, Basically, he saw a lot of symbols across cultures that may have never even interacted with each other, but the symbols still were similar in a certain way. And this clued him in to the idea that perhaps we all contain universal inherited elements from our own human history that goes back to when we were like apes. Uh, And here's another quote by him. Man has developed consciousness slowly and laboriously in a process that un- that took untold ages to reach the ci- this civilized state. And this evolution is far from complete. Far for, er- for large areas of the human mind are still shrouded in darkness. And basically, a part of this collective unconscious is archetypes. Now, this is something he talked about a lot, and I'm not going to be able to go through everything because there are, there are lots of archetypes he talked about. But basically... What an archetype is, is identical psychic structures that are common to all, which again can be clued in by looking at universal symbols, motifs, and themes found in myth, art, and cultures. If the symbols are investigated, it can help one identify the archetypal patterns of the collective human mind and even help us understand the world. Uh... Basically, a way he defined a symbol is something unknown or a mystery, while in comparison, a sign is more about the known, which is like language. Um, And many symbols are created, and these symbols are kind of like little pieces of the puzzle that point to an archetype which is common to all. Uh, An example of an archetype would be the shadow. So the shadow is basically this idea of the self that, we don't want to relate to because it is the socially undesirable part of our personality. And this again can be, can present itself from the unconscious to the conscious through negative moods, irritability and unnecessary cruelty. Um, However, the shadow can also have um, positive effects where it gives us insight into our normal instincts, our realistic insights and our creative impulses. So there's kind of a goodness to the shadow, but a darkness to the shadow as well. And the last archetype we'll talk about is the self, which is basically the idea of the unification of all the parts of the psyche. So so basically what he described as the purpose of human life was to kind of collide and collect your consciousness, your unconsciousness, and your collective unconsciousness. And basically, integrate all these things and become conscious of your unconscious. Become conscious of the collective unconscious and getting yourself closer to this point where you can understand yourself more, your habits, your the reason you do things. And um, we'll talk about 
more a little bit later on. Actually, no, we'll talk about it right now. Uh, and basically how he thought you could do this by integrating your unconscious with your conscious, the personal and the collective unconscious, uh, was through a process he called individuation. And, and basically the goal is to integrate all components of the psyche for a wholeness. Uh, a little quote by him. Man's task is to become conscious of the contents that press upwards from the unconscious. As far as we, dis- we can discern, the sole purpose of human existence is to kindle a light in the darkness of mere being. Uh, and basically, the way he thought we could, again, bring the unconscious to the conscious is we must investigate our feelings and the unconscious through one way would be through our dreams which he was uh, is very popular, he used to do all the time. And the way to study our own feelings and unconscious thoughts is when a thought or feeling or something comes up, we must radically self-accept who we are and be radically self-honest in order to know who we truly are. Another quote. Good does not become better by being exaggerated. But worse, a small evil becomes a big one through being disregarded and repressed. The shadow is very much part of human nature and is only at night that shadows that no shadows exist. So basically this talks about how if you push down these negative traits that you do not want to relate with with your true self, you will have less control over these traits that are your true self because you're not conscious of them. So basically, these small evils to say, you realize that you're, again, going back to the jealousy. You realize that maybe you get jealous in certain situations, but you push that down, say, no, that's not me. But then that will come back again later, maybe through other ways, and your jealousy will only grow in your unconscious and become worse if you are not conscious of this unconscious feeling that you have. Uh, and basically, he, basically the thing he thought was the worst thing you could do is being ignorant to your true self. Now, that, that was a lot of information. We'll go through a few other little quotes. This is going to be mostly quotes this part, and it's just other little things that um, he thought about that we should, uh, I guess we should do. One thing he believed was that we have this need to reconnect with nature in order to under, understand ourselves. As men has long used animals in order to understand its own nature, and every language on earth is packed with metaphors, uh, anthropomorphizing animals, or see the line between man and his animal nature as blurred. Basically, this is seeing how through human history, through stories, through metaphors, through motifs, uh, we very often connect ourselves with the animal world as looking through his theory in this way. The collective unconscious of, or even just the personal unconscious, seeing that maybe inside of us we do have animalistic tendencies that maybe we need to accept ourselves so then we can control them better for the betterment of the world and other people. Uh, Because another reason why um, he thought that um, self-acceptance and acknowledging these bad sides of our personality 
is because if we're not careful, these things can lead to shadow projection. And basically, shadow projection is what happens when we get the, these negative traits. We don't identify with them, and we get manipulated by the information around us. So, say, um, an example he used was he uh, people can be indoctrinated into seeing certain groups as enemies, and if we don't acknowledge these evils inside of us, this can lead to, I guess, a bias, you could almost call it, seeing how this darkness inside of us can turn into hate. And we have this social indoctrination, and we see that other groups are enemies, and this shadow projection turns into something bad um, that leads to hate for another group. Or even something smaller, shadow projection can just even be the unconscious coming into the conscious without you knowing like a behavior didn't intend to have. And basically, going back to, went a bit off track, but we'll go come back to why we why we need to reconnect ourselves with nature is because it's, again, reconnecting our un- unconscious to the conscious. So an example of, like, motifs in human history that refer ourselves as animals is, like, the black sheep, uh, the ugly duckling, or, um, yeah, stuff like that. So basically, the black sheep is someone who's not not uh is a bit different from everyone else the ugly duckling is like someone again who's a bit different from everyone else and there are many other things like uh i think another example they used was like calling someone a bear uh but yeah i've i've also kind of noticed these ideas coming up like i think even in animal farm comparing ourselves like because they're very much like humanized in animal farm and they're turned into people and um, it's almost seeing ourselves as there is this animalistic part of ourselves that uh, crave power. Uh, and another quote, we'll go for another quote. As scientific understanding has grown, so our world has become dehumanized. Man feels himself isolated in the cosmos because he is no longer involved in nature and has lost his emotional unconscious identity with natural phenomena. These has slowly lost their symbolic implications. Thunder is no longer the voice of an angry god, nor lightning his avenging missile. No river contains a spirit. No tree is the life principle of a man. No snake is the embodiment of wisdom. No mountain cave is the home of a great demon. No voices now speak to man from stones, plants, and animals. Nor does he speak to them believing they can hear. His contact with nature has gone, and with it has gone the profound emotional energy that his symbolic connection supplied. Something else he talked about was um, our personality is very much, so the unconscious with the conscious, another way he described it was order and chaos. And the thing about being acknowledging the unconscious and acknowledging your animalistic tendencies is that Sometimes self-control is important, but chaos in but without chaos in life, life becomes bland. Uh, there is a great value in relinquishing control to a greater power. In other words, your animal uh, tendencies in certain situations that are appropriate. Uh, an ability to control one's emotions that may be very desirable from one point of view would be a questionable 
accomplishment from another, for it would deprive social intercourse of variety, colour and warmth. An example of this could be like the animalistic tendency to like for laughter, getting jokes. Like this is maybe like imagine if you controlled yourself whenever you ever wanted to laugh and it's not just a natural instinct that you have. That would just defeat the purpose of, I guess, chaos. And chaos does add life to the world, but you just need to know how to control between your order and your chaos within yourself, your conscious and your unconscious. Um, and a way to un, un, another way to unravel your unconsciousness is putting yourself in novel, novel and natural situations in which your consciousness unravel itself, as well as analyzing your dreams and feelings. Um, another quote. It, it is a fact that in, in addition to memories from a long distance distant conscious past, completely new thoughts and creative ideas can also present themselves from the unconscious. Thoughts and ideas that have never been conscious before. They grow up from the dark depths of the mind like a lotus and form a most important part of the subliminal psyche. We find this in everyday life where dilemmas are sometimes solved by the most surprising new propositions. Many artists, philosophers and even scientists owe some of their best ideas to the inspirations that appear suddenly from the unconscious. The ability to reach a rich vein of such material and to translate it efficiently into philosophy, literature, music or scientific discovery is one of the hallmarks of what is commonly called genius. So being able to connect with your unconscious and accepting that part of yourself can produce and investigating your unconscious can produce ideas that you may have never had before and could create new ideas that no one has ever thought about before because you accept that maybe you're not perfect and accept the parts that you don't want to uh, identify with. And um, a little bit of this is what I kind of wanted to do part two, how is influence influential today, so I won't go too much into it. Uh, but basically his legacy and impact today is that he has definitely impacted the importance of people understanding one's unconsciousness. Uh, and a exa modern example of this would be like biased. So we all can acknowledge that we have biases. Some people may not want to acknowledge, but we should acknowledge that we have biases because this is maybe a part of the collective unconscious or just the personal unconscious that is coming out, influencing our behavior, perhaps not in a positive way. And uh, one other thing I didn't realize is people actually still do this Jungian analysis. Um, you can go into someone's uh, clinic and they actually still do this. Now, if it's scientifically, uh, like, if it has evidence that it actually works, I'm unsure. But, um, but yeah, apparently some people still do it, which I think is really interesting. And uh, it's kind of the same thing going through uh, connecting with your unconscious people, you analyzing your dreams, your thoughts, accepting truly who you are. Uh, and um, yeah, basically, I think that's it for this episode. Uh, there was so much more I wanted to talk about, but you know what? I think I might do a part two, but we'll see. Anyway, 
Thank you all for listening to this episode. I really hope you enjoyed it. I really enjoyed researching this one. And uh, if you have any thoughts or feelings about this, uh, comment below. And all of you, stay curious. Bye-bye.